Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Thank you for being with us this morning here at Bethesda. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn with me. Um, to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 20 in just a few moments. Um, it's good to be back with you, our church family. Um, if you're new to us here at Bethesda, if you're here in person or watching online, I um, came back Wednesday from a uh, mission trip, Devin and I, our children's pastor, um, we're on a mission trip to Tanzania, and so we just got back, and then, um, so I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks, so I hope you brought a bag of lunch um, and some snacks, um, but uh, we had a great trip, and I just want to say to you, church family, thank you so much for your prayers. Um, it, those prayers were felt. Um, it was obvious um, to us, um, for, to Devin and I, that you love us, you prayed for us, and your prayers um, meant so much to us, and your support and um, for us has been tremendous, remarkable. And so thank you for all the prayers. Thank you for all the support um, throughout um, our time away. We will be sharing this Wednesday night here, um, right here in the sanctuary um, at 6.30. We'll have a share time. Devin and I will share all about our trip. So I hope you'll come out on Wednesday night and um, as we kind of share all what God did in and through us. And so I won't be doing all of that this morning. Share a few things that we um, saw and heard, but um, I hope that you'll be back Wednesday night and, and hear all about it. So 1 Kings chapter 18 title of my message this morning is the value of worship, the value of worship. Now, if you take the, work, the definition of value and you look it up in the dictionary, the, the dictionary defines it as this, the regard that something is, is held to deserve, the importance or the worth or the usefulness of something. And so when we think about the word value, we think about whether something is, um, has worth, if it um, is useful, if it's important. We use it in terms of um, a great value, like Walmart slogan, right? We want to look at something and whether it is a great value. If we're going to buy something, whether it's a food item or eggs, we're looking for, all of us are probably looking for the value of eggs right now, a good value, right, a good buy. We're thinking, okay, if I'm going to spend $7 on 18 eggs, right, is that a good deal or can I go to Walmart and get a little cheaper? Or if I, can I go to Sam's or can I go somewhere else? Can I find a better value somewhere else? Meaning that I want to take the money that I have and I want to make sure I'm using it to the right proportion or that the right worth or not paying more than I need to pay for something. And we evaluate whether something is a good value. We do that with everything, whether it's groceries or buying a house or buying a car or everything in our life. When we invest, even our jobs, we look at, okay, what am I going to do for this job and, and what compensation am I getting it? And, and is this the right compensation? Is this the right um, value for all that I'm going to do for this job? We do this with every area of our life. We look at everything to the lens of, okay, if I'm going to invest my time, my money, or whatever it may be, 
Is it going to be worth it for me in the end? As we, last week, we were in Bojingwa, um, Tanzania, Mwanza, Tanzania, which is a little village about an hour outside of Mwanza, Tanzania. And there is a farming community, and I'd love for you to, to um, go with me and see um, on a mission trip and see all that our world has out there. I'll, I'll never forget, we, we made these little hut bags, and I'm going to try not to share my whole um, story with you um, this morning. It's probably going to be difficult, but we, we made these little hut bags, which was food and beans and, and all kinds of different things, and we went home by home in this little village, and we went in this little home, and I mean, this little village, and there was a man, and he was a senior adult, and, um, and he said, you know, I've always heard of Americans. He said, I've heard of them, but I've never seen one. He said, you're the first one I've ever seen. He said, stay, sit down, stay 15 minutes and tell me all about who you are. You know, and as we were making these bags and, um, and as we went out to this village and we saw these different farms, they were farmers. And so they farmed corn and they farmed um, rice and rice fields, there was bean fields, there was, they would farm cotton, they were fir- farmed a thing called um, gavasa, I think is how you say it. It's like a root. But you know, for them... That's their way of life. And so for them to plant something in the field, they want to plant something that's, be, that's going to be of value, right? So I was talking to our, our translator, Pastor, we were working with, and I said, what is something that you would not plant in Tanzania or, or in Mwanza? And he says, you would not plant coffee because coffee, the climate, is too hot and it would never grow. And so if you, I, I, when I shared with our, our folks in Tanzania, when I was there in Bujingwa, actually, I, spoke, I preached this passage of scripture to them. And I told them, I, I gave them this idea. I said, imagine if for them, if they had a piece of land, and I don't know if you're familiar with farming, but um, I, I was in a church one time, and it was a farming community, and farmers rotate their fields, and every year they decide what they have an acre or two, they'll decide what they're going to plant in that field every year. And they determine that. Every year it's real important. What's, what's the market bringing? What's that's going to produce the most income and what's going to be the most value. So I said, it's the same thing in Tanzania. They had their fields and they would try to decide, what am I going to plant in my fields this year? And then you imagine if a Tanzanian, he has a limit of funds, he has a limit of um, supply, and he has, um, okay, what am I going to invest? It's going to be best to feed my family. Well, you can imagine, say they've decided, you know, one, we got this field and I heard that some people in Kilimanjaro are planting coffee. Maybe we should plant coffee in Mwanza. And they say they drive down to the village, which I mean into the city, which would be an hour drive. And they don't have vehicles, so they have to pay a taxi to get somebody to come get them and take them there. So they have to pay for the taxi. And they get in the market, and they barter with a bunch of different people and get what they need to plant the coffee. And then they would drive, pay the taxi, get all the way back out to the village, and they would take those um, beans or whatever it is, and they would plant that coffee. They would, they would get their, um, their ox, and they would plow the fields they would clear the fields they would plant the rows and they would take all that time to plant that coffee and then they would wait make month two three and at the end of all that it would be worthless the money they paid for the taxi this money they spent for the field i mean to buy what needed to plant the time that they spent pulling um, clearing the fields plowing the rows, all the time they wasted in three or four months waiting for it to grow. In the end, everything that they planted in that field would be a waste because it would not grow. It would not prosper. And so it would be a waste of their resources. And in the end, they would have nothing. You know, in our life, all of us plant. 
We invest our time, our energy, our money, our, our talents. We invest into something. And as we, this morning, as we continue in what we've been doing in this last little bit, it was Church Mission Month, and we're examining different parts of what we do, why do we do what we do here at Bethesda. I want you to examine what are you worshiping? What are you investing your worship in? What are you planting your worship in? We all worship something. All of you, everyone in this room today, everyone watching online, you are worshipers. God created you for the function of worship, and you are worshiping something. And there is, I think it's important as we come to this morning, there is value in worship, but sometimes we worship things that are no value, that have no worth. Our church mission statement, I think we'll try to throw up on the screen for you, says this. This is the purpose of our church. Christ instituted the church. He died for it. He has chosen to extend his kingdom in this world through Christ. The church is compromised of God's people working collectively and corporately. We blend our differences and our gifts for the purposes of glorifying God. You know, the very purpose of Bethesda Baptist Church is that we would unite together with one purpose, that we would worship God together. I like the last sentence there, or the last paragraph says, this church will be built upon the spiritual foundation established when people corporately and boldly confess Jesus as Lord and lift him up in faith and practices as the son of the living God. So as church members, we say, we come together and say, you know, God's called us individually and corporately to worship the Lord. And today I ask for you to think about what am I worshiping? What am I investing my time and my talents and my gifts in? You must evaluate its value, whether it's worth it. Whether it's worth it that you sacrifice your time, your talents. We ask you as church members to be worshipers here. We ask you to give your time and attendance to church here on Sunday morning, to growth groups, to church events. And you have to ask, I invest my time. Is it a value? You ask, we ask you to give your, your talents. We ask you to use your gifts to serve in the ministry here, the ministry here and the ministry um, in our community. You have to ask, as I worship the Lord and I give my talents, is it a value? We ask you to give your tithe. God's blessed you with provisions, and we ask you to give back a portion of that. You have to ask yourself, as I give as, a, as an act of worship, is it a value? All these are different ways that you and I worship, and we must ask, is there value in my time? Is there value in my talents? Is there value in my time that I give to the Lord? As we come to this passage in, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah the prophet is demonstrating the value of worship, worshiping the Lord. He calls the people together, like on this, on top of this mountain, 10,000, 100,000 people, and he calls them to evaluate their worship. And he calls them to worship fidelity, to worship only the Lord. So let's stand together and let's look at just what Elijah calls them to and what I believe he calls us to to today. So it's 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long would you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But the prophets of Baal are 400 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire on um, no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God and put no fire under it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for, Lord, what I believe you led us to. Lord, you know my heart. You know my mind. You know the things I've prepared for this morning. God, you know the things that, Lord, you desire to declare today. So, Lord, we come today, Lord, to hear your word to hear you speak, Father. And so, God, I pray for the anointing of you, um, your messenger today. God, you know I'm a sinful man and who desperately needs you today, Lord. So I pray, God, may you fill me, that you might pour me out, Father. God, may you give me the words to say. And, Lord, there's anything that, um, everything that I would declare, Lord, would be your words. And, God, you would give me clear thought and clear presentation. And I would rightly divide your word today. So, Lord, I pray you would be with me, your messenger, but, God, we as hearers today, as people, Lord, may we be, have a heart and a mind that would be open to your word. May your Holy Spirit open our minds and our thoughts today, and, Lord, may we respond to you today according to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Come to this passage of Scripture. Elijah um, calls Ahab to bring all the prophets and all the people and to come to Mount Carmel and that they would um, decide that day on their worship and, um, and what were they worshiping. He, I think a key part of this passage of scripture is verse 21. I think it's, if you want to understand the kind of the central piece of this passage, it really is in verse 21. Verse 21, he Again, all of Israel was gathering on Mount Carmel. There's kind of this wavering, Scripture says. Um, um, Elijah would say, how long will you go between two opinions? How, how long you waver between the two? And he, it, so he brings them all there, um, those who worship the prophets of Baal and those who worship the Lord. He gathers them all on the mountain and said, let's finally decide for ourselves. And look at what he says to all the people there on the mountain. He says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If God is God, then follow him. But if Baal, uh, then follow him. He comes together and there's 450 prophets of Baal and all the people, hundreds of thousands of people there. And he says to Israel, all of Israel, the entire nation, if God is God, then worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. But how long will you continue to waver between the two? How long will, on Sunday, you're worshiping God, and on Monday, you're worshiping something else? How, how, how many times are you worshiping God on Sunday, and on Wednesday, you're worshiping something else? If God is God, then worship him on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all your life, worship him and worship him alone. But you can't worship God one day and worship something else another day. If he's God, then worship him. 
And if something else is God, then worship him. But you can't, you can't have both. You can't worship both. And so he, it's the, kind of the, the central part of this passage is him calling them to. What will you worship? What is truly God? And if he is God, then worship him. There is this idea of this two opinions. I think it's important that he says here, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? I think it's important for you to understand what are these two opinions that, that Elijah is talking about. As we've been looking through this church mission month, we're really looking at Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, Moses, God gives Moses the instructions of how the people of Israel, his chosen people, were to worship. He gives them kind of a... Um, a document, a guide of this is how my people should worship me. And so we've been looking at that. We looked at that last time that we met together, or last time I preached um, before you. And in Deuteronomy 13, he gives, gives them some more instruction about worship. In Deuteronomy 13, he, he warns them. He warns them about false teachers. He warns them about false prophets. He also warns them that, that there will be false teachers and false preachers and false teachers who will come along and who are to try to lead them away from worshiping the Lord. And there will also be, furthermore, friends and family members and other people in your life that will try to lead you away from worshiping the Lord. So he warns them of that. He says this in Deuteronomy 13, 3, if you want to turn there with me. He said, you should not listen to the words of the prophet or that of a dreamer, for the Lord your God is testing you. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So he gives this warning about the false teachers. He says, listen, you should not listen to them. But understand that that false teacher is there and that dreamers are there and it's there to test you. It's there to test you whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Because if you follow over these false teachers, you really don't love the Lord your God with all your heart. So he, told, he commends them or commands them, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Hold to him and him alone. And then the latter part of the, um, the passage, he warns them what they should do with these false teachers. He tells them, verse 5, but that prophet, the dreamer that shall be put to death, he's taught rebellion against the Lord your God who's brought you out of the land of Egypt, redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you um, leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk and you shall purge him from your midst. He says, this false teacher who comes along, you've got to remove him. He's leading you away from the Lord. He's leading you away from the commandments of the Lord and you're to remove him. And then he goes in verses 6 through 8 and, and, and 9 he does the same warning for your brother and your mother, your son, your daughter, your wife, your friend, who secretly entices you to turn away from God and serve other gods. As we come to 1 Kings 18, it's not just a false teacher. It's not just a dreamer. It's not just a son, a daughter, a mother, a brother. Or something. It's actually the king and queen of Israel that's leading Israel away from following God. And who are they following? Well, the names of Ahab and Jezebel. And they believe in the worship of Baal. If you go back with me, I think it's important for you to understand this. Go back with me to 1 Kings 16, just a few chapters um, to your left. Um, as you turn the pages to your left, you'll see in verse 30, it describes um, the king of um, Ahab. And it says this words, and Ahab, the son of um, 
Amari did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, as if it had been a light thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he took wife, um, for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king of Sidians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, in which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made Ashereth. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the king of Israel who were before him. This is the king. This is the queen. There are the ones who are leading the entire nation to turn away from God, to turn to a false god. This false god was God Baal, and we see that in Kings. Scripture describes in 1 Kings 18, there's 450 prophets of Baal. Baal was recognized as the storm god the bringer of the rain. He was understood as the God that brought fertility to crops, to animals, and to people. Israel was a farming community, a farming nation, and so they depended upon crops, they depended upon livestock, and so therefore they began worshiping this God of Baal that would bring rain to their crops. It would fertilize their animals. It would fertilize their crops and make their, their, their herds grow and their crops grow. And so they believed in worshiping this God. By worshiping them, he would bring rain and, fer- and it would bring growth to their crops. He would fertilize, again, their animals and their crops and, and their crops would grow. And therefore, they'd bring more money in the market. They'd bring more money in their storage sheds and they would have more than they'd ever had before. And how did you worship this God of Baal? Well, you worship by going into the temple. And they believed that you committed sex acts in the temple. And by committing sex acts in the temple, it brought fertility to the God of Baal. And therefore, he would give fertility to your crops and to your plants and so on and so on. We see this early on in Scripture um, that this prophet of Baal was happening. We see it as early on um, that Israel at times would be tempted to fall away in worshiping not just Yahweh, but worship Baal. We see this in Numbers 25. The first occurrence is Baal Peor, where um, um, Balaam was trying to lead the nation of Israel astray through giving them at, to Baal at Baal Peor. Same thing, giving them to have sex um, acts as offerings to the God of Baal. We see it in Judges and different occurrences where other judges would lead people astray into the, to, um, worshiping Baal. But never in the history of Israel had it ever become to where it is in 1 Kings 18. In 1 Kings 18, worship of Baal became the national religion of Israel. Ahab and Jezebel had made it the worship of Israel. No longer was Israel to worship God. Israel was to worship Baal. And so, and they went as far as to say that if you worship God, you would be persecuted. You go back and read 1 Kings and you'll see that they persecuted the priests and they were hiding for their lives. They killed the prophets, um, Jezebel did, and, and um, Ahab. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah... God tells Elijah, if you go back just one chapter before, God tells um, Elijah to go to Ahab and look at the verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishabite of Tishbe and Gilead say to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, 
for whom I stand. There shall be, shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. God commanded Elijah to go to Ahab who had killed prophets and who prophets were hiding in caves out of fear of Ahab and Jezebel to go to him and declare that for three years it will not rain. This was in great in, in, in defiance to the God of Baal. Why? Because God of Baal was the what? The rain God. And therefore by Elijah saying, listen, it's not going to rain for three years except by God's word. It's in direct defiance that there's no power in your God. There's nothing in the prophet. I mean, there's nothing in the false teaching of Baal. After three years have went by, they, um, there's drought. You can imagine it's killed the crops. It's killed the land. People are upset. They're worshiping Baal. Nothing's happening. And for three years now, they start pursuing Ahab. I mean, they start pursuing Elijah. They want to find Elijah because Elijah said it's set by God's word and his word that it would not rain. So Jezebel and Ahab are trying to find him. And suddenly... Um, Elijah shows up on stage and he says, okay, I want, um, you've been looking for me, Ahab, you're looking for me, Jezebel, meet me on Mount Carmel and bring all the people of Israel to that mountain and bring all the prophets of Baal. And there he brings forth everyone and he says, how long were you wavering between the two opinions? If God is God, then worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. Jezebel and Ahab believed in the God of worshiping the God of Baal. Elijah believed in worshiping the God Yahweh, Israel's God. He first sings it out in this passage. He says, um, if God is God, then worship him. If it's Baal, then worship him. Then he creates this scenario, okay? You've got 450 prophets of Baal. You take an ox, you make an altar, and you sacrifice that ox on that altar, I will also take an ox and I'll sacrifice it. And whatever God answers, then he is God and he's alone to be worshipped. I want you to see first, as we come to verse 25, the Bible says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. First, as we look at the value of worshiping, I first want you to see, first, the value of worshiping false God. This is what Elijah wants all the people of Israel to see. Okay, you want to see who's God? If there's value in worshiping false gods? Well, let's first look at the prophet of Baal. So he says, okay, get your ox, um, sacrifice him, offer him to your Lord, and then you pray. And that's what they did. They took that ox, they took that altar, they sacrificed it, Scripture says, that they given, they prepared it, Scripture says, and from morning till noon, they prayed. In Tanzania, um, they're a family, if they would buy a bull to, today, a, a bull would cost one million shillings, which would be equivalent to $428 U.S. dollars. You can imagine it costs today, if you and I would go buy a bull, it costs in Tanzania, it costs us here in America, 
It costs, if you go buy meat in the grocery store, it, it, there's a cost to it, right? There was a cost in this sacrifice. The prophets of Baal came together and there was a bull that they, was, that they took and that cost, they, they, they paid the farmer, whoever bull that was. It, there was a price on that animal. There was a cost and time that it spent in offering and preparing that bull, the time that was spent that day. There was time that they prayed. Look at the time that was spent from morning to noon. But listen, they prayed and they prayed. But look at what Scripture says. Old Bell answered us, but there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Listen, first, there is no value in false sacrifice. There is no value in false sacrifice. You know what is amazing today? That it, back in, um, as we look at this passage of scripture, there were people all over Israel that gathered on top of that mountain. You know why? Because they were looking for something. They were looking for something. They knew that in this life, this is not the answer. There's not hope in this world. All the things this world has to answer, there's got to be more than life than the life that we have here on earth. They were looking for something. They'd, they'd, uh, for three years, they'd sacrificed the bell. And they'd been, but there'd been no rain. Their crops had died. Their families were starving. People were dying. And there's got to be hope somewhere. I was, we went and we um, passed, when we were in Tanzania, we got to speak to 150 pastors at a pastor's conference. And the, kind of the, the one who's over all the pastors, his name's Bishop, Bishop um, Reuben, um, brought us in his office and we were talking to us. And he said, he said this, and this struck me. It struck a chord with me. I hope it strikes a chord with you. He said, you know, in Tanzania, the belief of God is very strong. People realize in Tanzania that this is not, there's no hope in this world. There's no hope in these things. And they're looking for a higher power and they believe that there is a God. He said, but it's different for you in America. In America, they don't believe in God anymore. And they're looking for hope everywhere else except God. He's right. And as you go into the village and you talk to the people, they're looking for God. Even so far, we met this taxi driver and we shared the gospel with him. And we asked him about whether he believed in the Lord. And he believed in God and he, believed, he said he believed in Jesus. But he saw Jesus just as a fairy, like a token. I would just pray to God and if I pray to Jesus, then he'll help me out my business. He'll give me more customers. He'll help me with my health. He saw him as something that was just going to be a genie to fix my life. But at least he was looking to God. He's searching for something. And, 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 and this passage of scripture, they're looking for something. In Tanzania, it's sad that they believe that God is their hope. But just as in 1 Kings and just like Moses predicted or God said to Moses, there are false teachers. I'll never get many years ago, I think three years ago when I went, the um, pastor we worked with told us about a false teacher, and he was selling this miracle water that you would buy a little jar of miracle water. This false teacher was preaching and said, if you had this miracle water, it would save you of your diabetes, it would save you of your cancer, it would save you of all your health issues, and that people were flocking because, listen, because they believe in God, they were flocking all over the world, all over Tanzania to get to those towns where that man was sharing the miracle water. He told me that this time that it's still happening today, and even in the little town that we were in, that false teacher was there. And in Arusha in Tanzania, one man was trampled to death by the crowd of people trying to get to the man trying to sell the fake water. 
But you can imagine with me today, listen, here there's people all over the world and all over Tanzania. We met a lady that we were in the village and she'd had health issues and she'd been to every doctor that she could find trying to cure the issues that she had. She'd been to all these false teachers. She's been to all witch doctors. She's been all trying to find an answer. And there are people all over Tanzania who will travel all those miles, get the taxi to drive to Arusha to see that false teacher. They'll spend the money for the tax driver. They'll spend the money to buy the false water. They'll spend the money to get back home. They'll spend the time praying to that false God. And listen, there is no power in their sacrifice. All the money they wasted, all the time they spent, all the prayers they cried out to that false God, and it, there is no power in it. And listen today, folks, we are still, there's, in our life, there is times where we are sacrificing our worship to a false God, and there is no value in the sacrifice that we give. Listen, there's no, not only there's no value in false sacrifice, but there was no value in false worship. Look at what happens in this passage of Scripture. And at noon, Elijah mocked them and says, cry loud. If he's God... He's either musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. So they cried loud and they cut themselves as their custom with swords and lances until blood cussed out upon them. And at midday they passed and, um, and they raved on until the time of the offering of um, oblation. But there was still no voice, no one answered and no one paid attention. Scripture said that at, at lunchtime, they prayed since morning and nothing's happened. Elijah said, I tell you what, you say he's God. You know, you've been doing all, there's 450 of y'all. And so maybe if he, he is God, he's he probably asleep. You need to cry a little loud. You need to pray a little loud. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he went and got some water. Maybe he's a little tired and got something to eat. You need to just keep crying louder. So they begin crying louder and louder all through the night. All through the day, Scripture says that he went on so far that they, he, they started getting sores and started cutting themselves, trying to cry out to their God. Think about this, all the sacrifice, the money they gave for that bull, all the time and prayer that morning, and there was no power. But listen, it goes further. They worshiped even louder. They cut themselves. All the, the extremes, they went to worship him, and there was no value in their false worship. You know, I was, this week we were there, and um, and we had a we met a, another pastor. He was Minnesota, and he was training pastors there too. And and we got to talk to them. And he's traveled all over the world, just training pastors in Uganda, Kenya, I mean Ethiopia, I mean just everywhere he'd been, um, training just pastors. And he said, "We uh, when we get to Tanzania, there's, there's witch doctors." We see that, um, and a lot of the people who are looking for God will look for answers um, from witch doctors. And he told me that, and I think Uganda, and I'm pretty sure it was Uganda, that there was even an issue of pastors who would consult the witch doctors about what they should do in church and what they should do in their ministry. But probably the most startling story he told me was a man who was starting a business and this is a true story. The man sacrificed his son and buried his son underneath his business. That believing that by sacrificing his son and burying him under the business, that God would grant him blessings to his business. Now you are just like me. I hear it in your voice. 
You said, how could anybody do that? To take a life of a child in order to believe that a false God would bless them. And the reality is, there's no value in it. It's not going to bring blessings to his business. It's all waste, waste. And listen, today we are living in our world. And listen, we may not be sacrificing children to, um, to our business, but we are worshiping other things that have no value. Reality is, and I've said it a few weeks ago, the God of America today is not a God, it's a thing, and it's sex. It's reality is. We see it. It's, and some are worshiping the God of sex. I mean, I, the reality is, in our world today, we see it. I saw an article that shows that in, in our world today, and we see it on the news, that there's, um, that children... As young as the age, uh, on average, on the age of six and a half, are changing their sexual identity. And the idea is we're teaching children that there's no hope in this world. Your hope is in your sexuality. So whether you want to find sex and and happiness or fulfillment in life and a a sex partner of the opposite sex or the sex partner of um, the same sex, that's where you'll find happiness. And children today, our world is saying, you can do that as early as you want, even as early as three years old. And so listen, our world is saying today, there is value in worshiping the God of sex. Some are saying today there is value in worshiping the God of money. Some are worshiping other gods. Some are worshiping the God of drugs. Heard of a pastor today that's, um, who was in the NFL and now is a pastor in South Carolina. And he says, you would never believe how rampant in the NFL, in the locker rooms, how rampant the drug use is. And they're worship, we're worshiping the God of drugs or sex or whatever it may be, but it's in our world, it's not some supernatural thing, it's something, a material thing or some sexual thing or something in this world that we think we can get happiness in. But listen, all the time, all the money, all the sacrifice, and there is no value in it. There was no value in this time and you can cry and cry and cry and cry to your God But listen, he will not answer. And you can cut, and you can cry out, and you can weep, and you can limp around, but they will not answer. Lastly, there was no power in false gods. Scripture says, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out. And at midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of um, of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The second opinion was worship the Lord. Here's, I want you to see there, in worshiping the Lord, listen, God is worthy of our sacrifice. I love this passage of Scripture. Scripture says in verse 30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Can you imagine the whole nation had been worshiping this God? 
They saw the 450 prophets crying out and nothing happened. It was a killjoy, if you imagine. A disappointment. And Elijah says, listen, come. Come near to me. And he calls all the people. He repaired the altar. Scripture said in verse 31, he took the 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob in whom the word of the Lord came. And Israel shall be your name. And with these stones, he built the altar in the name of the Lord. And he made trenches about the altar as great as would contain two um, sheaths of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bull into pieces. And he laid it on the wood. And he filled um, four jars with water. And he poured it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And he did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Listen, God is worthy of our sacrifice. There was a sacrifice that day, and this sacrifice was to the Lord. There were sacrifices time. Scripture says that he took and cut that bull into pieces. He took the water, and he poured it over the sacrifice. He took the stones, and he laid them out according to God's word. He, he, he laid them out according to the tribes. He took the wood as God prescribed. He obeyed the word of God, and God is worthy of our sacrifice. God is worthy of our times. Time, God is worthy of our sacrifice. And listen, let's, let's be honest. If you worship the Lord today, listen, it will cost you. Don't be naive to think that if I worship the Lord, it's not going to cost me something. No, it's going to cost you. If you worship the Lord, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your wants and your desires. It's going to cost you your plans. It's going to cost you your comforts. But listen, God is worthy of our sacrifice. We were, um, as we were going on our way to Tanzania, we were um, doing every opportunity to share the gospel with people we came in contact. And um, Dean, one of the pastors who was with us, had some gospel tracks. And, and we, as we were getting off the plane in Boston, there was a guy that was getting off the plane and he had a track and he just gave it to him. And um, we didn't think anything about it. Dean, Dean didn't think anything about it. Well, Friday, this Friday, so almost two weeks later, um, um, yeah, almost, um, one of our team members got a Facebook message by some random guy. And the guy said this in the um, Facebook message, one of you guys, I can't tell who, handed me this little book deplaning from the flight from RDU to Boston. I didn't care at the moment because I was tired. He said, the book talks about the Ten Commandments. I tried to find him to thank him and to pray for me after the flight. But it happened so quickly. You know, you think that sacrifice is a little bit uncomfortable giving someone track. It's a little bit, it's going to take a little time maybe sharing the gospel. And is it really worth it, my discomfort? Is it really worth my time? Is it really worth the effort? Listen, God is worthy of our sacrifice. God is worthy of our worship. Look at what Scripture says in this passage. Scripture in verse 36, at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And listen to what Scripture says. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. Listen, God is worthy of our worship. 
You know, while we were um, landed in um, Tanzania on our way in, we, we stopped. One of our stops was in Dar es Salaam, which is the capital of Tanzania. And I went to use the restroom. And as I was coming out of the restroom, I noticed there was a man that was there praying. He was Muslim. He had his little prayer thing, and right outside the bathroom door, I think I chose a different place, by the way, but um, right outside the bathroom door, he had his little prayer thing out, and he, was, he had the little stuff out in front of the prayer, um, whatever, I don't think that, what that thing's called, um, mat. Yeah, that's it, his prayer mat. He had a little stuff on top of it, and he was, he was praying to Mecca. Uh, one time I went on a mission trip to another area, unreached people area, and I met a Muslim, actually, and um, dinner with him, supper that night, and he was so proud that he had been to Mecca six times. He was so proud that he had done that. You know, it's interesting. You see a Muslim, and they're so proud of their dedication and their worship to their God. A Muslim, by the way, must pray five times a day. Um, according to um, the Quran. they must give to the poor. They should fast once a year for a month, an entire month. Every good Muslim takes a pilgrimage to Mecca at one point in their life. Again, the gentleman I met that day was proud that he'd done not just once but six times. They must do all these things, and in the end, they're not assured of their salvation. You think about that. All the devotion, all the worship they give to a false god and there's no value in that sacrifice. There's no value in that worship. It's all in vain. And let's be honest. We're lucky to pray once a day. We're lucky to, he's bowed down beside the bathroom door. And we're lucky to take time in our own homes and to comfort our own homes to get before our Lord and pray. In scripture, I mean, we know statistically there he must give to the poor. We know statistically 70 to 75, 75 to 90% of church members do not tithe. That means 10 to 25% of church members tithe. Many church members, they're, they're fast for an entire month. Many church members have never fasted their entire life, maybe a whole day. I say all that to say, they're so devoted to something that's not real, and there's no worth in their worship, yet we serve the God who's worthy of our worship, and we give him so little. Lastly, listen, there is, listen to me today, there is power in our God. The Bible says here, Elijah came near. They'd been praying for hours and hours and hours, sacrificed so much, harmed themselves, and their God didn't answer. Elijah come to his Lord. He sacrificed to his Lord. He worshiped his Lord. He prayed to his Lord. And listen to what he says. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel. That I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. That this people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. There was a lady last Sunday. She was the lady I told you about. I'll show you a picture. Remind me and I'll show you a picture of her um, Wednesday night. She had been ill and sick and had been all over the world trying to find answers to what's been happening to her body. 
But listen, her physically, she may be sick, but spiritually, she was sick. And last Sunday morning, Devin was preaching about the woman of well. How she went along and tried to find happiness in all kinds of different men and couldn't find it. But she met the one who would give her living water. And that broken woman who had been in pain all her life, who suffered all her life, had looked to answers everywhere else that couldn't find it. Listen, that day, she found that there was power in our God. And that day, Jesus set her free. Today, she's free. Today, she realizes there is power in our God. And he is worthy of our worship. I wonder today, of those who are here, I wonder for you, Maybe you are a lot like the people of Israel. Maybe you've been looking, and looking for power and everything else. And it's, there's been no value in your sacrifice. There's been no value in your worship. There's been no value in following a false god. Today, maybe it's the day that you realize God is worthy of my sacrifice. God is worthy of my worship. And there is power in God of the Bible. There is power in Jesus. And maybe today's the day that you say, you know what? I want today to surrender my life to him. Just like that lady did last Sunday in Tanzania. Maybe today's the day that you put your faith in Jesus for salvation. And just as he came that day and answered the prayer of Elijah today, listen, our God will hear and our God will answer if you call to him. I love that the scripture says, and then by fire the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and he licked up the waters in the trench. Look what happens in verse 39. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Today, would you call upon the name of the Lord? Listen, and may you hear that he answers your prayer and may the power of God come upon you today and radically change you just as he changed that altar and then you can declare the Lord, the Lord is my God. But listen to me, my biggest fear for you is today is that you will not cry out to our God. Today you'll say, you know what, I don't know. If I don't worship the Lord, maybe I'll continue to worship something else. In Revelation 20, Scripture gives us the picture of the end of all things. And the Bible says this, that I saw a great white throne and to him that was seated on it. And from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away and there was no place found on them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second day, death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name who was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I fear one day there will be many who will not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Their life, one day, Jesus is going to come again. And all, great and small, Scripture said, will be judged that day. And my fear is there will be many of those who gave their life to worship things that were false. 
all the time, all the money, all the things that they gave and their talents and their abilities to a false god will all be a waste. And there will be those on that day that will look at their life and say, I wasted it all for something that was false. You think about the Muslims. You think about those who are following false teachers to give up all their life to realize it was a waste. But look, the good news is those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who put their faith in Jesus for salvation, will say, you know what? He was worthy of it all. He was worthy of the sacrifice. He was worthy of the worship. He is worthy. He is God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you for the time you give us today. Lord, I think all of us here today must evaluate where is our worship? What are we worshiping? Lord, and I pray today that just as Elijah declared that we should not waver between one or two things, that you are God, God, we should worship you alone. I pray there'd be those today say, Lord, today I want to worship you and worship you alone. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray there's some that never put their faith in you for salvation. I pray they'd be, do that right now, right where they are. Most a prayer that lift up to you, Father. I pray that God, they cry out to you just as Elijah did that day. Lord, I pray they'd be those who put their faith in you for salvation and what you, your son Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray there'd be some today who would just say, you know what, I, I have put my faith in Jesus, but I've been wavering lately. I've been giving my worship to other things. Today, Lord, I need to turn my life back to you. Lord, however you're leading in the hearts of people today, I pray that they would respond to you now, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.